It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 107 of the Night Talker at 1045, where are we at in society? My kids are getting trouble at school, but I'm having a hard time being upset. At 10.30, I take a look around a big weekend of ranked matchups in college football. At 10.15, the Dallas Cowboys suffer a strange loss to the Arizona Cardinals and more from Week 3 in the NFL. And coming up in seconds, the Texas Longhorns dominate the Baylor Bears on Saturday night. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, many on the Longhorns side had hoped for a more complete performance against Baylor in Waco on Saturday heading into last weekend. And sure enough, that is mostly what we got as the Texas Longhorns are up 28-6 to going into halftime. And even though they only scored 10 points the rest of the way, those 10 points were in the third quarter too, it was a resounding victory to open conference play, their last slate of conference play games in the Big 12, by beating those Baylor Bears 38-6. to And yeah, Baylor, maybe not the fearsome foe that we thought they might be heading into the season. I, for one, had this as a potential trap game on the schedule, but when their starting quarterback goes out, the backup's not only not very good, but he's also seriously dinged up, affecting his ability to run, which is part of what he does okay as a mediocre option at QB for the Baylor Bears. Texas took care of business, and an offense that we've seen really struggle in the first halves of games through their first three games this year. Maybe less so in that Alabama game, but certainly against Rice and Wyoming. Really got it together early. They score a touchdown on their very first possession, if I'm not mistaken. And they get 21 points in the second quarter. And ultimately, you felt good about this one from the jump. Baylor was always going to have a difficult time moving the ball on this exceptional Longhorns defense. And they did. And at least three of their... Six points came on a muffed punt from Xavier Worthy. And we will get into the special teams problems here in just a second. But as soon as the Longhorns defense was show, showed that they could do the job we expect them to do, then it was up, the, up to the offense to get something going a little bit more. And credit to them. They did in part because Steve Sarkeesian seemed like he was willing to learn his lesson and run the ball a little bit more, not just early in the game, but early in drives. And that doesn't mean running it on first down every time. But he was mixing the run in a little bit more on first and second down, giving his team more third and manageable looks. Now, they didn't necessarily need a ton of third downs. And if we're honest, they weren't great at third downs either. Three for nine on third downs. But Baylor had 18 third downs, and they were five of 18, which is a slightly worse percentage. Texas did not need a ton of third downs to cook in the first half. Credit to Jonathan Brooks. Wasn't a great game for him necessarily. He did have that long of 40 yards for a touchdown. Has two touchdowns in the game. Ultimately, 18 carries for 106 yards. C.J. Baxter slowly working his way back into action. He has six carries for 21. But Quinn Ewers had a great bounce back game versus... 
some pretty pedestrian statistics against the Wyoming Cowboys last Saturday at DKR. Quinn finishes 18 for 23, 293 yards, a touchdown. His QBR was 96.2, which was best in the Big 12 all weekend. And he showed the wheels off. He has that 29-yard touchdown run where he has to tiptoe the sideline. And look, credit to him. I was mocking the fact that Quinn somehow lost 15 to 20 pounds and looked less, he looked clumsier. He looks like he had worse balance in that very first game, but he did a good job moving laterally. And then once he started getting upfield, we've talked about this up to this point. When Quinn gets going straight line, he has decent speed. And he has good enough vision to see that he can pick up chunk yardage. He not only did that, but he tightroped the sideline there. Looked like he might have stepped out of bounds on the initial play, but the replay showed that he did not. And the Texas Longhorns start conference play in an emphatic fashion. Xavier Worthy, although he did have that muff punt, he also had a nice punt return. And he was... Okay, catching the football wasn't a great game for him. He had a touchdown, but really the star in the passing attack was Jatavian Sanders, who a week after being shut out by Wyoming, which shouldn't ever happen. I don't care who the competition is. JT bounces back in a huge way with five catches and 110 yards. Had a long of nearly 50. Jonte Cook gets into the action. Has a 50-yard bomb where he probably could have taken that in for a touchdown if he hadn't stumbled, but he does stumble. Ends up getting caught as a result. A.D. Mitchell, decent with three for 46. So it was a group effort, and that is great to see. And that includes a more balanced approach in terms of running the football to set up the pass at times. That's not a bad thing. It doesn't need to be a 50-50 split. Plenty have gone over this over time. Mike Leach said it the best. What would have had to have been a decade plus ago. But balance doesn't mean 50-50 necessarily, but it means making sure one is complementing the other. And Texas was probably a little bit askew early in games and leaning on the passing attack when they have a very capable bell cow running back back there in Jonathan Brooks. Brooks also had a really nice one-handed catch in this game. I know he's faced some criticism, including from me, for dropping two surefire touchdowns on similar looking swing passes. Maybe you just got to make the catch tougher for him. Perhaps hitting him between his two hands for a ball that would otherwise go off of his face mask. Maybe that's the key there. He's got to remain ultra focused on some of those spectacular one-handed catches. And yeah, the defense is the defense. David Benda, huge game for him. And while I am still concerned if there is a weak spot on this defense, it's David Benda. You got to show progress from week to week. And this was a good matchup for him and showcasing that speed and his ability to get sideline to sideline. So kudos to David Benda for potentially taking steps forward to where when they are facing better competition, which this Saturday at DKR is going to be the biggest test this Longhorn defense faces certainly up to this point in the 2023 season, but maybe all year long. The David Benda playing like that can only help things out. Jalen Ford had his best game of the season. Led the team in tackles with eight, I believe. Also had that interception on a fourth down play where Baylor was trying to get it into the end zone. 
So he continues to be arguably the most valuable guy on the defense. I know some people will suggest that might be Tavondre Sweat, and I completely understand that argument, but considering the depth that you have at defensive line, Sweat goes down, not as big of a loss as if Jalen Ford goes down. But both guys are very healthy right now, knock on wood. We hope that remains the case. Saw some concerning things with the secondary, and look, with the... Rules stacked against defensive backs like they are in modern college football, you inevitably will give up some chunk plays at times. But there were a few moments where the Longhorn defensive backs allowed the receiver to get behind them where if there is an accurate throw, and in some cases there were accurate throws, you saw big gains downfield. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward too. I would imagine that against a good passing attack, And Kansas, by the way, does like to throw the football down the field. You may see a little bit more safety help over the top for those cornerbacks on the outside. But then again, you also have to make sure that eyes are staying forward because of how much of a dynamic threat Daniels is at quarterback for the Jayhawks. How strange is this that we're talking about the toughest two-game stretch for this Longhorn football team on the schedule the rest of the way is likely this weekend and next. It is very likely Kansas and then Oklahoma in Dallas the following week. But we will have plenty of time to talk about that throughout the rest of this week. Texas does handle their business over the Baylor Bears 38-6 on Saturday night. All right, coming up, we're going to talk a little NFL, including the Dallas Cowboys' tough loss at Arizona yesterday. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Another interesting week on the NFL side of things. And of course, we have to start because 1027 ESPN is your official Austin home for Dallas Cowboys football with a very bizarre performance out of the Cowboys yesterday and what turned into their first loss of the year against a team that a lot of people would be thought would be the worst in the National Football League in 2023. Yet here we are, three games into the regular season, and the Arizona Cardinals have played decently enough to win all three games up to this point, and they finally get their first win of the year over Dallas, 28-16. to And it was flat out a bad performance by the Dallas Cowboys' run defense. They allowed James Conner to look like the James Conner of old. And unfortunately, they could not dig themselves out of an early deficit. Arizona led 15-3 to at one point in this game. And Dallas did chip away, but it was too little too late in the end. And for me as somebody who is not a Cowboys fan, as soon as I saw an hour or two before kickoff that Zach Martin and Tyler Beaditz were both scratches to go along with Tyron Smith not going through pregame warmups. I still don't know if he played or not. I do not recall. But that spelled trouble for Dallas in terms of the cover. But it wasn't even the offensive line, although the offensive line was a problem. Dak was very short on time throughout the evening, throughout the afternoon, whenever he was dropping back to pass. It was much more about that Dallas Cowboys defense looking like they were going through a sort of emotional letdown without 
Trayvon Diggs back there. Diggs, of course, suffers the season-ending injury. I believe that was on Thursday of this last week. So news that was received by the team late in the week. And they just looked lethargic. And even though it was the run defense and not the pass defense that was the biggest problem, the defense on the whole just looked out of sorts. And Arizona made them pay. And so congratulations to Gannon and Dobbs and the rest of the group over there. They are showing some fight right now. They are still one of the worst teams in the league, but they are not an easy out on a given week, at least to this point. And all the goodwill that the Cowboys had built up with their fans and with the national media through the first two weeks, beatdowns over the Giants and Jets, well, a lot of that has vanished now. You're not back to square one just yet because it was only a single game and what is a very long season. You are now much more skeptical of how this team is going to handle success than you were a week ago. That sucks if you're a Cowboys fan because this felt like a year that was shaping up for uh, to be real opportunistic for you. It still can be, but you need to right the ship on defense. And Arizona may have exposed something that was a problem for this Cowboys defense last year, and that is run defense. The Giants couldn't do that and the Jets couldn't do that because they were playing from behind for much of the game and having to throw to catch up. But you will likely see opposing offenses try really hard to establish the run going forward. You damn well know Bill Belichick is going to do that with New England this coming week. I mean, Mac Jones is about as unclutch as it gets. And if he has faith in any side or any part of that offense right now, Bill O'Brien included, it has to be running the football. Ramon J. Stevenson, pretty good option there, the former Oklahoma Sooner. And then how about Zeke facing off against his old team for the first time? Credit to that Arizona offensive line for really getting it done. Cardinals with 21 carries for 207 yards. And two touchdowns. And that's running outside the tackles too for much of that. They finished with 222 yards on the day. So they were going outside for much of the day and gouging that Cowboys defensive front, but also secondary too because those outside runs are where you need your cornerbacks and safeties to come up to make a hit. Trayvon Diggs, really good at that aspect of things as well. Obviously him no longer being out there is... Potentially an exploitable piece. Elsewhere in the National Football League, we have to stay in the state of Texas. Well, technically in the state of Florida. But involving the other professional Texas team, the Houston Texans. Really surprised everybody. I'm guessing a lot of survivor leagues lost more than half of their players this weekend with both the Texans and Cardinals winning. Texans pick up their first win of the year, 37-17 over the Jacksonville Jags. I mean, this one wasn't even ever really close. Texans lead 17-0 going in at halftime. About C.J. Stroud. Texas fans universally thanking Lovey Smith for not tanking the final game of last year, which gave them the second overall pick and forced them to go Stroud over Bryce Young. That's not to say Bryce Young cannot still be an excellent quarterback at this level. But C.J. Stroud looks like the real deal through three weeks. 20 for 30, 280 yards and two touchdowns. 
against Jacksonville. Throws in a handful of rushes for 14 yards too. Tank Dell, former Houston Cougar. Nearly 150 yards receiving on five catches and a touchdown. Nico Collins chipping in. Robert Woods also chipping in. And then how about lifetime Longhorn Andrew Beck with an early candidate for unexpected play of the year. Picking up a moderate squib kick, I guess. And taking it 90 yards for a touchdown, a kickoff return for a touchdown for Andrew Beck, who is technically listed not even as a tight end at this point, but a fullback in the National Football League. He showed some moves too, man. Slipped away from one diving tackler and then outran a lot of people. There were a couple of guys who looked like they had an angle on him when he got to the sideline, but Andrew Beck, he made it happen. That was really cool. Fun to watch. Fun to watch a big guy rumble like that 90 yards. Also fun to see a lifetime Longhorn do so too. And for Texans fans in a season where he expected very little in the way of optimism or very little to celebrate, you get a little something. Three weeks into the season. It looks like you have something to build on right now. So congrats to Dico, uh, D'Amico Ryans and company for what they've been able to do so far. All you Bijan fans are keeping a close track, close tabs on the Atlanta Falcons. They lose to Detroit in the Motor City yesterday, 20-6. to Bijan does not get anywhere near the 20 or so touches that we hope to see out of him each and every game. He actually had 10 carries for 33 yards and another four catches for 27 yards. 14 touches, ain't going to get it done, Arthur Smith. I realize Tyler Algier has earned a share, but he went 7 for 12 on the ground yesterday. Bijan needed more of an opportunity. And look, I understand that Lions rush defense is really good. Their defense on the whole is actually something not to be slept on. And a big reason why I feel like they will win that division this year and have a chance to make some noise in the postseason. By the way, they're good offensively too. It's time people start giving Jared Goff a little bit more respect. I said it. Jameer Gibbs, decent game on the ground for the Lions, 17 for 80. Jared Goff's uh, Goff's favorite target? No, it's not Sam Laporta yet. It might be before too long. Sam has 8 for 84 and a touchdown. I'm on Ross St. Brown. Goes for 9 and 102, including some huge catches down the stretch. Aiden Hutchinson. Also has a really good game. Forces a fumble. Has a couple of passes batted. Two sacks. A tackle for the loss. So Aiden Hutchinson proving his top pick status in year two. And the Falcons fall to two and one. A little bit concerned with Atlanta's prospects just because of how bad Desmond Ritter was yesterday. He looked all out of sorts, especially when throwing the ball downfield. Now, part of that is the Falcons' offensive line was not very good. You credit the Lions' defensive line for applying the pressure. But the Falcons were having a hard time protecting their quarterback. And heck, the running backs didn't have a whole lot of room either. I mean, when Bijan finishes 
averaging around three yards a carry, you know that was a nice effort by the opposing defense. Miami Dolphins, 70. Denver Broncos, 20. My goodness. The questions being asked of Sean Payton right now, well, you're going to have to call him legitimate because Sean Payton got his ass kicked by a guy who used to serve as a water boy on, I believe it was the New Orleans Saints that Sean Payton was the head coach and McDaniels was the water boy. And now the student is the master with Sean Payton suffering a humiliating defeat. And I realize Russ Wilson is a problem for Denver, but he was not the problem yesterday. The problem was your terrible defense surrendering 7-0 points. The most points in the modern era, and they were three points away from the all-time record. And they could have gone for it too, if not broken it. They probably would have broken it had they made that effort. But they did not. And Denver now falls 2-0-3 and in Sean Payton's inaugural season. Meanwhile, the Miami Dolphins look legitimate. I realize that in the preseason, the conversation around them came down to can Tua Tungavaloa stay healthy? If so, their ceiling is much higher than it is otherwise. Well, guess what? He has stayed healthy so far. And they have been really, really good to boot. All right, coming up on the other side, we will look at a little bit more in the way of the NFL as well as some of those exciting college games from Saturday right here on The Night Talker. It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's The Night Talker with Trey Elling. Continuing our look around NFL Week 3. Already talked about the Cowboys, that tough loss at Arizona. How are you feeling right now, Cowboys fans? The Texans, cause for optimism after their beatdown over Jacksonville in the state of Florida. And the Dolphins completely embarrassing the Denver Broncos and setting a modern NFL scoring record. And the Kansas City Chiefs. Haven't talked about this one yet, but they get back on track in a major way over a really bad Chicago Bears team. I'm not sure what Chicago is going to do going forward. There's a chance we see a quick change at head coach sometime in the next few weeks because they are just bad right now on both sides of the ball. And it seemed like Justin Fields might give them something to build around last season, even though they were still losing games at the end of the year. But after some of what they did in the offseason, including believing in Justin Fields enough to trading away that top, top draft pick, it is not working for the Chicago Bears right now. Kansas City, well, you'll only hold them down for so long. And it looks like that offense is ready to do what we've come to expect of it in the Pat Mahomes era. And yes, that does include... Is he or isn't he Taylor Swift's new boyfriend? I don't really care. I'm going to be honest with you. Travis Kelsey is a stud of a football player. Funny entertainer too, by the way. Maybe he doesn't get quite enough love for the effort that he puts into entertaining the masses away from the football field. But Kelsey has a nice game in front of his potential girlfriend. 7 for 69, a touchdown. Not his biggest game necessarily. It didn't need to be though. 
KC spreads the love around. Mahomes has three touchdowns. Well, Jarek McKinnon had two of those. Actually, the running backs scored four touchdowns in this game when you count Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Elaire. And then that defense is really good too, although you can't really judge them as such against this listless Bears offense. I really did think they would be better offensively this year, but they've been slow to try and do for Justin Fields what they seem to start to get last season, and that is having him with more designed runs, utilizing his legs as a strength, and also getting DJ Moore a little bit more involved. I get that DJ Moore had that late touchdown to make his numbers look a little bit better than they probably would have been otherwise, but uh, Kansas City, a force to be reckoned with, not surprising. Chicago, not a force to be reckoned with. Also, I guess not all all that surprising in the end. A battle of 0-2 teams. The L.A. Chargers come out victorious over the Minnesota Vikings, 28-24. Both teams made efforts to give this game away in the end. But unfortunately for Vikes fans, it was their team that proved to be the most inept. Apparently the home crowd too loud at the end of the game for the Minnesota offense to get it straight enough to do what they needed to to punch the ball into the end zone. And despite Brandon Staley's best efforts, the Chargers do win this game. Why despite his best efforts? I get it. Those of you who are still on the Staley wagon, foolish of you, but I get it. He made that fourth down call in the first half of that game. That leads to a touchdown over three points. So there's a four-point differential right now. They win by four. How about making that call, but also being smart enough to understand that going forward on fourth down, deep in your own end, In the fourth quarter, when your opposition is down by less than a touchdown, probably not a great call either. And you may luck out against good teams. That will not work against bad teams. He does it again. He did it in Cleveland last year. I feel like he may have gotten away with it in Cleveland too. Maybe I'm misremembering that. But Brandon Staley proves week in and week out that he should not have the ability to manage games on the sideline. Let him be a stat nerd in a booth. Maybe let him call a defense if you really want to let him call plays. Because I would suggest that that's even suspect at this point. But do not let him manage games. And make fourth down calls and field goal calls. And when to punt and when to go for it. Because his brain is broken. He has become an ideologue. As it pertains to going forward on fourth down. And it is a detriment to that organization right now. And every game that he remains in charge is another game that you are wasting the prime of Justin Herbert. I'm saying this in a win, too, by the way. You had a freaking Minnesota Vikings team that got really lucky in one-score games last year and has come plummeting back down to earth right now. You play in a pretty darn good division, so you'd better get it together, because otherwise there are some certain losses along the horizon. I guess we're not calling this Bill Belichick swan song just yet because I don't know if he officially ends things at the end of this year, but we are watching the slow demise of Bill Belichick in New England. They beat the Jets yesterday, but it's a game that the Jets, had they been anything other than terrible, fighting with one another on the sidelines in multiple occasions, Probably could have won that one. But in the end, New England hangs on to win 15-10. to 10. 
Buffalo Bills, they just smash Washington. Bad day, bad week, I should say, because the Giants played on Thursday. Bad week so far for the NFC East with the Giants, Cowboys, and Washington Commies all losing on Thursday and then Sunday. Carolina playing with the Red Rocket himself. I'm sorry, Red Rifle himself. Andy Dalton at quarterback. It was a turn back the clock day for the Carolina Panthers because Adam Thielen had himself a big day too, but ultimately it was not enough to beat a Seattle team that perhaps is deserving of a little bit more respect right now. They got humiliated by the Rams week one, but they beat the Lions last week. They beat Carolina. Yeah, it's a bad Carolina team. I get it. They beat Carolina, though, this week, and they sit at 2-1 and one right now, and there aren't a ton of teams that get to say that. One of those teams is the Green Bay Packers. They are 2-1 and one after a seemingly improbable comeback that saw them down 17-0 heading into the fourth quarter. They get 18 points in the fourth, which is thanks in part to Derek Carr leaving that game with an AC joint injury. Jameis Winston spells him. Does okay, doesn't turn the football over, but also doesn't do enough to keep the Saints putting points on the board. They don't score in the second half. Green Bay scores 18 in the fourth quarter, and they win. Congratulations to Jordan Love on the 2-1 start to his official career as the starter for the Packers. Realize that he started a couple games, if I'm not mistaken, for Green Bay last year, but this is the first that he's obviously the guy in charge there. Did a good job, considering that Aaron Jones didn't play in that game, and he was missing some wide receivers, too. Romeo Dobbs, 5 for 73 and a touchdown. All right, switching back to the college side of things for just a little bit, it was a huge weekend for ranked matchups. And we talked about Texas Baylor at the beginning. Huge win to build on for the Longhorns, heading into what is arguably their toughest two-game stretch of the year at home against Kansas, and then facing Oklahoma and Dallas. Florida State, they do a nice job in sustaining in a tough environment at Clemson. They win that one in overtime. Their turnaround season continues. Fourth-ranked team in the country right now. The 230 games between ranked teams was pretty meh. I'm not going to lie. We all knew that the Penn State-Iowa game was going to be meh. Iowa sucks. Penn State, people are probably sleeping on them right now. But even Utah-UCLA, unfortunately, wasn't as exciting as I would hoped it would have been. UCLA scored a touchdown in the fourth to make the game closer, but it always felt like Utah had that one in hand. Same goes for Alabama over Ole Miss, by the way. My apologies to anybody who heard me talking about this game last week, thinking that Jackson Dark would be a difference maker. He was, but in the wrong way for Ole Miss. And that Alabama defense, despite the fact that there are legitimate questions about the offense right now, they are still what you expect out of a Nick Saban coach team. You cannot put too much stock into that Texas game because Texas did some nice things on offense that night. And Texas, when they're on, they have a good offense. It's why I think they have as legitimate a shot to win a national championship team uh, this year as any team in college football. Because when they play well on both sides of the ball, I think they're the most complete team in college football. The defense is that good game in and game out. It's about the offense 
finding that level of consistency. And I think they probably did against Baylor. You're going to see a much different attitude going forward. Washington State, Oregon State turns into a really exciting game that almost sees Oregon State come back in the end. Washington State holds on to win that one 38-35. And the Cougs find themselves in the top 20 in the new AP poll this week. They're in the top 15. I don't have that pulled up right now. My apologies. And then you have Notre Dame, Ohio State. It was not the most excitable game in terms of the offenses. I think there was a little bit to be desired there. Some of that's on the defense, and some of that's on the offenses not being all that good. Like, if you're an Ohio State fan right now, are you that big of a believer in McCord? I'm not. I love Travion Williams. Yeah, obviously had a highlight reel moment in that game. McCord made some plays that he had to down the stretch, and I guess that's what matters most. But play in and play out seems like it's a roller coaster ride with that guy. And despite Notre Dame having every ability, every chance to win that game and to put it away and to make a defensive stand like they needed to at the end of that game, to win it, Ohio State pulls off the victory. I can't say pulls off the impossible because both of these are flawed football teams right now. But they do win it on that last second touchdown. Literally a last second touchdown. Where it scored with what turns out to be a second left. And they leave South Bend victorious. All right, coming up, we do have one final segment. It's Where Are We At in Society? My kids are getting in trouble at school, but I'm having a hard time being that upset. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your nightly look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will provide a story that gives you a sense of optimism. that has you saying to yourself, Hey, maybe we as a human race are starting to figure something out. Perhaps all is not lost. And today is less about society and more a question of whether I have my family going in a good or bad direction, not only in terms of my own children's actions, but my response to supposedly negative actions, at least according to their school. That's right. My kids go to public elementary school here here in Cedar Park at Rick Perry Elementary School. Overall, we like the school, think that they've done a good job as students. They are learning. They are progressing. They are acquiring friends. They are losing friends. They're winning and losing out on the playground and in PE. And as upstanding citizens for Rick Perry The Rick Perry Fighting Elephants, I think, is their school mascot. Fighting Elephants of Rick Perry Elementary School in Cedar Park. Well, even though we've had small run-ins in the past that have required teachers to let us know what's going on, it wasn't until this year that each of my kids received a stern talking to 
from an authority figure outside the classroom, but unfortunately, just a little bit more than a month into the new school year, each of them has come home with an incident report that is requiring us to show our medal as parents and help them come to a better understanding of what is the right way or wrong way to handle a situation. So we'll start with my son. who Two weeks ago now, I apologize. This is the first time that I'm sharing this with you, but it's better than no time at all. My son got pulled from class and talked to by the vice principal after an incident at recess. He and some friends were playing tag or something of the sort at recess. And at one point, it was a mixed crowd, boys and girls. They decided to chill out for a second and shoot the breeze like second graders do. And my son, who is a jokester, he is a prankster. And for a seven-year-old, this little dude has a great sense of humor. Well, one thing leads to another And my son pulls his pants down and faux moons his classmates. Why do I say faux moon? Because he at least had the common sense to keep his underoos up. His Pokemon underoos stay on. Regardless, the athletic shorts come down and he sticks his butt towards his friends. His friends all laugh. Unfortunately, there was at least one teacher in the vicinity who not only did not laugh, but made my son's teacher aware of what had happened. And because it's borderline inappropriate nudity, it's not really nudity, but you're still showing your underoos to your classmates, so she had to file a report with the principal's office. And sure enough, my son... Gets the stern talking to from the vice principal. So we get this incident report. I ask him what happened. He tells me exactly what I just told you. My response to him, son, first of all, way to be aware enough, I guess, to not pull the underoos down because if the underoos came down, this is a very different conversation we're having right now. And I asked to make sure. So your classmates laughed at this. They found it funny. Yeah. That's why you were doing it for the comedic effect. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations on one of your first lessons in comedy. And that is understanding where the line is, how you can go over the line, and making sure that you have a full grasp of the entirety of the audience and knowing whether or not you can get away with something. Your classmates found it funny. Nobody told on you. You got in trouble, though, because there was a teacher nearby. And you weren't aware of that. And so, therefore, you got talked to by the vice principal. But I give you credit for the effort. Learn your lesson. And thank you for not pulling your underoos down. Because I did not want to have to deal with that situation. This is much easier to deal with. Just know, pulling your pants down and showing your underoos for people It can backfire in a major way. It's like saying the F word in front of one of your grandmothers. There's a chance you can pull that one off and they will find whatever you just said funny. There's also the chance that you are going to get in trouble for using the F word around your grandmothers. So that's my son. 
Did I handle that correctly? I think it was okay. My wife was looking at me suspiciously. Like I maybe wasn't making the wisest move and giving him a pat on the back in the process. He didn't even lose an afternoon of video games. Like he got to go about business as normal. Talk to him, make sure he understands what was wrong about that circumstance and what was right. And so we just move forward. He's actually embarrassed to tell the story. And maybe that is the best part or the best way that I've handled this is that I've encouraged him to tell a couple of our friends that are over what he did to get in trouble. And he hides behind mom when I do that and says that I'm embarrassing him. So perhaps that's how we get him from pulling his pants down at school anymore. So my daughter... That was two weeks ago. My daughter last week. Pick her up from school. My wife is with her or with us that day. We meet them at the same spot every day. And as we're walking away from the school and towards our car, which is parked on a side street near the school, my daughter says, I got in trouble at school today. I turn say, oh yeah, what happened? I don't want to talk about it on the walk. We can talk about it when we get into the car. All right, whatever. That day of reckoning is happening before screen time. You understand that, right? Yes, Dad, I know. I just want to wait until we get into the car. So we get back to the car. It's like a three to five minute walk. Get back to the car. My wife is driving. I'm sitting shotgun. And all of a sudden, to my left, in between my wife and I, I just see this blue piece of paper. Come from the back to the front. Grab the piece of paper. What do you know? It is another incident report. And I said, is this how you got in trouble today? She said, yes, just read. I read it. And the gist of it is this. One of the boys in class came up and hit me in the face. And so I hit him with the middle finger. Excuse me, not hit. She did not beget violence with violence. She flashed the bird at him, so she showed him her middle finger, and then she got in his face and threatened him if he were to ever do something like that again. This incident report has been signed by her teacher. So best of my knowledge, her teacher said, yes, this is an accurate version of events here. So I said, all right, he hit you in the face. How did he hit you in the face? He came up and flicked me in the face. I said, okay, so you guys weren't talking or anything at all before this. She said, no, I was just standing in line. We were waiting to go from our homeroom to our special for the day. Special being like PE, music, art, something like that. And I said, and he was, you were not talking to him. You did not say anything to him. You had not motioned to him. She's like, no, I wasn't even looking at him. He just walked up and flicked me in the face. She said, hit. I would argue that a flick is similarly, if not a little bit more infuriating than to get hit in the face. But regardless, to have somebody physically strike you in the face is grounds for a fight. And I told her this. I said, way to use restraint and not straight up punch him in the nose. Because he flicked you in the face and you weren't expecting it. There are plenty of rational people to get hit in the face unexpectedly. And their guttural response is to attack that other person. You kind of did that, but you showed some restraint too. 
And I said, so he flicks you in the face and you look and you're immediately upset and you just give him the bird. You just bang that middle finger up. Like, did you pull, did you push your thumb out also? Or is it just the middle finger? She's like, I pushed my thumb out also. I said, all right, that's the best way to give the middle finger. And so you give him the middle finger and then you get in his face. Is that how it happened? Yeah, dad. And then your teacher broke it up? Yeah. Yeah, teacher broke it up at that point. So I look at her and I said, way to defend yourself. You should never hit anybody else in the face and nobody should ever hit you in the face. And boys certainly shouldn't be hitting girls. I don't see what you did wrong here. And I'm not totally sure why you got an incident report. Yeah, probably because of the middle finger. But much like with words, there is a time and place. And even though the teacher didn't like seeing the bird, she had to have understood deep down that my daughter could have taken that middle finger and jabbed him straight in the eye and I still would have been okay with it. My father material, father of the year material over here or what? All right, another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Thanks as well to legendary baseball promoter Mike Veck for hopping on to talk about his new Netflix documentary. It is the Saint of Second Chances. Highly recommend you check that one out. We will be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.